I'm going to share on this morning and um, just let me get God just did in my heart this week. Um, and, and like Dom just had a different mindset to what God was saying, what God was wanting to do um, in many of our lives um, this week. I, um, I uh, came to, to work on Tuesday and I, I, as I walked into work, um, the nurse and, and Ian was standing outside and the nurse says to me, so how are you? I said, no, nah, good. God loves me. I'm his favorite son. And, uh, and Ian laughed and he said, what, well, actually, you his second favorite son. And I went, two, I'm his second favorite son. But I walked off and I didn't think anything of it, you know. And, and on Thursday night, just in bed, this conversation started to play through my head. You know, I don't know why, but this conversation played through my head where we said, you know what, are you his second favorite son? And, and in that moment, God just spoke to me and he said to me, and yet, I chose you. And, and I was just laying in bed thinking, wow, how did I not get that? How did I not get the fact that yes, in a sense, I might be his second favorite son, but yet he still chose me over his son. Because that's the only choice that he had. It was either Jesus or me on the cross. It was either Jesus or me that he had to choose between. And I think we miss the fact that he chose you. We miss the fact that he went over and beyond the definition of what love really is. And, and, and I know think many of you that are fathers in this house, how difficult that choice would be between, you know, choosing Sean and choosing my son. And so often we don't grab a hold of what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. We don't understand what he did and what he is doing in our lives. Because so often we don't walk in the fullness that God has for us. We, we, somehow we just, well, I'm not good enough. You know, well, I, I've got a really bad upbringing or, you know, I've really been in a bad place or, you know, me and God just not connecting at the moment. And somehow in life we find this reason why we cannot see ourselves the way God sees us. We cannot see the purposes and the plans that God has for us because we're so full of condemnation, so full of we've got to be perfect, we've got to do this, we've got to be like this, we've got to act like this. You know, and the minute that we, we bump our toe, it's almost like we start to fall to pieces. But it's like, oh God, we failed you, we failed everything else. And I, I started to think about this and I thought, okay, what are you going to share on this thing? And I, I thought, you know, there's, there's one guy, there's one guy that... Uh, probably understood the grace of God. If there's one guy that understood the choice that God had to make between his son and you and me, it would have been Saul of Tarsus or Paul. <clears throat> and I actually just started just a little bit thinking about who Paul was. And we all know this, the story on, on the road to Damascus. And I'm going to share a little bit on that this morning. But I want you to grab a hold of what it is that I'm saying to you this morning. Because I think we would be in a much better place in our lives and a much better place in our relationship with God if we truly understood who God is in our lives. Quick background. Um, we all know that Paul, his original name was Saul, born in Tarsus. That's why his name was Saul of Tarsus. Um, he was born to a Jewish family, but he had Roman citizenship. And so you've got to understand something that his parents were both Jews, but they both had Roman citizenship. He was born 5, 5 AD, that after Christ he was born. And around about 15 AD to 20 AD, 
Paul actually, when you go study the Hebrew Scriptures, and he studied the Hebrew Scriptures in Jerusalem under Rabbi G G Gamalili. Gamalili. Now you can understand, Rabbi Gamalili was probably the best known rabbi of those times. But uh, um, Rabbi Gamalili, the problem he was, he was incredibly law-based. That everything that he taught was 100% law. You had to obey the Sabbath. You had to cover your face. You had to, the whole thing. It was just this long list. And Paul grew up in this thing. Now you've got to understand, being a Jew, let's get this picture quickly in our heads. Being a Jew, but being enlisted in the Roman army was a big thing. I mean, you didn't know of Jews that were being enlisted in the Roman army. And I think we've got to get this picture in our mind because I think so often we miss it that whenever we think on Saul on his road to Damascus, we've got this picture in our mind of just him and a couple of guys walking down the road and as he's walking down the road, you know, this thing came upon him kind of a thing. But there was so much more to the story that you understand something. Now let's just go back a second quickly. How many of you have seen movies with Roman soldiers in them? We understand they wore red, this was the intimidating color. They used to travel in legions, massive big armies. Um, the guy in the front, you know, he would have a big horse and he would be riding out in front. So you can understand, Paul, a Saul at the time, was a leader in this army and, and leading in what it is that he was doing and where he was going. And so we don't understand exactly why he made the transition for, to be a Roman soldier from being a Jew. But we also understand something that at the trial of Stephen, the word of God says that Stephen was the first martyr, remember? He got stoned to death. The word says that after Stephen had been stoned, that they actually took his robes or their robes and threw it at the feet of Saul. Now, now I'm telling you this almost for a reason because let me tell you something. If there was one guy that God should never have given a chance to, it would have been Saul or Paul. Let's think about it. In, in chapter 9, uh, of Acts, and you can just go there quickly. Um, but I, I want to I just uh, just touch on this quickly, but I just want to go to 22, Acts 22. Okay, let me just stick to 9. So, chapter 9, verse 3 carries on. This is a story. It says, and, okay, let's, let's go this way. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murderous against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for a letter to the synagogue of Damascus. So that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them to about, about bring them bound to Jerusalem. And you've got to understand something. Get this picture. This is a guy that is persecuting the church. He's he's slaughtering now. Now, now get this in your head. It's, it's not this little spirity city. These are Roman soldiers. If you understood the times of the time, people would be crucified all along the roads. It, it was chaos out there. Rome was in charge. Rome ruled. Rome governed over absolutely everything. Rome was in control of everything. And now we've got these, these little sects that were forming. And we know what happened in the book of Acts. We know when the Holy Spirit of God came upon and they gathered together, you know, broke bread, um, all these kinds of things. And the word says that the church grew and the church grew and the church grew. But as the church grew, so the power and influence that Paul carried grew as well. And the more the power that Paul grew, more came to him was that he could destroy anything that really wanted to. To the place where he would go to the head of the synagogue and say, hey, can I have a letter? Can I have a letter that actually gives me permission to continue to persecute and slaughter the people of the way? 
those that were basically believing in Jesus. And so we pick up the story where he must be traveling now. And I was thinking about this in Rangi Ben, thinking it, it, it must have been quite a thing. It must have been this, you know, this platoon of, of German, uh, Roman soldiers marching and Paul's on the front. He's got the leg in his hand. He's on the road to Damascus. He has got carte blanche. He has carte blanche as an authority in that area to do what he wanted to do. He could destroy the church completely. And in this moment, the Word of God carries on in verse 3 and says, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone um, around him from heaven. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then he replied, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is, it is hard for you to kick against the goats. He, so he trembled and trembled and astonished. He said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the city, and you will be told what it is that you need to do. So we have this encounter. And, and in other scriptures, you carry on reading, and we find out that the, the soldiers saw the light, but nobody heard. And I'll read to Paul now. But nobody heard what God had said to him. And I'm reading the story to you because this is one of those divine moments where Paul walked on the road to Damascus one way and he ended up at Damascus a completely different person. You see, not just who he was had changed. What he believed all of a sudden started to change. How do you go from persecuting the church and killing people and the next minute you have this encounter with God and so all of a sudden everything changes in your life. And I've had to ask myself this week, how many of us have truly had an encounter with Jesus? There's Dom, told you the story this morning. How many of us have truly had an encounter with Jesus? Or how many of us just continue to live life as we do? Never encountered Him. Never encountered that moment where God touched you. Never encountered that moment where you felt yourself and you found yourself in His presence. And the problem is that we don't find ourselves in his presence, we don't find ourselves at his feet, and we don't find ourselves around him, because often you and I cancel out who we really are but with God. And we're sitting full of a church of people all over the world that are doubting who they are in God. They're not doubting their salvation, they're doubting the calling of God upon their lives. Can you imagine just walking and, and all of a sudden heaven just cracks open and as heaven just cracks open, the glory of God just falls and in an instant somebody's changed. Now when we started church right in the beginning we used to have the same way, some people are saved and some people are totally saved. There was a difference between those that were saved and those who were totally saved. What was the difference? Well those that got saved and gathered after Jesus simply because they were terrified of hell. And those that gathered after Jesus and turned their life completely around. The challenge is this, that how often do we really give our lives to God? How often do we commit our lives to God and fall in love with Jesus and fall in love with the Word? But we never bring about any form of change in our lives. Our life still carries on. We still continue to do the wrong things. We still continue to, to, to say the bad things. We still continue to be critical. We still continue to gossip. We still continue in our sinful ways. 
And it really is a challenge to me because I thought, God, you know something? If you had chosen Paul above your son, wow. And yet, he chose me. And yet, he picked me above Jesus. We all know the story that Paul goes on. And, and of course, the first thing that happens is nobody trusts him. I think there's no difference in church today. You know, we, we watch a drug addict come through the back door and we get them saved and we pray for them and, and we do all the great stuff. But somewhere in our minds, we've got this thing of, oh, well, one day long he's going to last. We say those things. We say those things. I'm going to be nasty. We all know. We all got that little bit of doubt. And someone says, you know, that's good. I've committed my life to Jesus. I'm like, you know, it worked. And then we wonder how long it would last. Is it in a county? Is it, is it because I needed Jesus in the time of need? You know, was there a financial need I needed? Was there, what was it that I needed? But I know that something shifted so in Paul's thinking that his old, old way of life was completely gone. The Word of God says that, that as the light came upon Paul, and Paul, he said to Paul, I want you to go and I'm going to send someone to you. And the Word of God says that Paul got off the floor and he was completely blind. Could not see, the word says, for three days he could not even see anything out of his own sight or his own eyes. And then God sent a man by the name of Ananias and said, Ananias, I need you to go and I need you to talk all and let's, let's pick it up there. Uh, 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 verse 7, it says that when the men were journeying with him, stood speechless, hearing a voice but not seeing anybody, then Saul arose from the ground with his eyes were open and he saw no one. But they led him at the hand and brought him to Damascus. And there he was three days without sight. Now there was a certain disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he said, Yes, Lord, here I am. He said, Lord, Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street straight and inquire of the house of Judas. For one on one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. And a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in, putting his hands on him, so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias asked, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And yea, he, he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on the name of the Lord. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Now, now, I want to drop something in your spirit this morning. I want, I want you to think about something. Because if that to me, as I speak, if that to me was the promise that God gave to Saul, then very much it's the same promise that God has given to each and every one of us. The very same message. I've chosen, God said to him, he is a chosen vessel of mine. Okay? Of mine. To bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and to the children of Israel. When I, when, I, when I was reading the scripture, and I made a big mark around it here, and that the part that caught me was this part here. You chose the vessel one, and second part, to bear my name. When I thought about it, how often do we really honestly bear the name of Jesus? You know, it's easy to wear a cross around your neck. It's easy to say, I love Jesus t-shirts. You know, it's easy to, to walk around with the Bible. But the Word of God says to all of us this morning, understand something, every one of you sitting in this room this morning, you are a chosen vessel 
that God has called to bear His name to the nations. You, doesn't matter what you are, doesn't matter if you're a Blue Bull supporter or you're a mechanic or you're a CEO, it doesn't matter. You've got to understand something, that our title and how we live and where we live and what we drive means nothing to God. It means nothing to what means is what matters to him is this that you see yourself as his vessel and what does a vessel do a vessel transports stuff from one place to another that's what a vessel does and he says i've chosen this man because i'm going to let him transport me the, the glory and my name from one place to another we know the story paul wrote most of the new testament you know we saw what he's done signs wonders miracles i mean just incredible what this god did i mean if He's the, do you know that Paul is the most well-read author in world history? This guy. This guy that had his sword on his side, sitting on his horse, on his road to Damascus, to destroy the church, becomes the biggest builder of the church that the New Testament has ever seen. How many of you are half as bad as Paul? How many of you killed any Christians? Any Jews? Put anyone in prison? And if God, if God can choose a man like him to bear his name, imagine what God can do with you today. You see, this is the issue. Is that we get caught up in our little world. We get caught up in this little world where it's really about me. You know, I want to be happy. I want to have a happy marriage. I, I want to be financially okay. You know, I want to live in a nice house. I, I want to drive a nice car. I, I want a decent job. I want well-behaved kids. I want, you know, gorgeous grandchildren. You know, I, I want a company of mine. We, we always, it's always about me. And we don't understand that often when so much comes upon us is that we lose focus of that we're a vessel. We lose focus we're a vessel and often the vessel starts to sink because what the vessel is carrying is not of God. It's that we've got this vessel that God has given us going to all the world but we've loaded it so with our own stuff. We've loaded so with our own mistakes and our own failures and you don't understand where I come from. I used to do this. I have to do this, I have to be in this church, I have to... We've always got an excuse. We've always got an excuse why we cannot be who God has called us to be. And we spend most of our lives trying to change everybody around us, but we don't understand that when you become whole in you, you become the mighty vessel that God can use. We spend so much time trying to fix ourselves. We try to spend so much time to look good and have right hair and the amount of nails and, you know, haircuts and the right clothes to wear. We spend so much time on who we are, not because for us, but often so that others can see. And so we spend this life trying to please someone else. And a woman that spent three, four hours in the morning putting on makeup. The husbands know what they look like when they wake up, so it's definitely not for him. 
But it's to impress someone else. It's to impress someone else. It's that I want to look good, I'm pleased. Woman done. Go out and say, well, I'm not even wearing makeup again. What the food said, I can look ugly. It doesn't matter. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, if we spend so much time trying to make this look good so that other people are impressed, can you imagine where we would be if we spent so much time making this look good so that he's impressed? And yet, he chose you. And yet, he chose you. Acts 22, it's such a, it's such a, this is Paul's version. So the first part, we write, sorry, let me just, Acts 22. And I just want to, just want to read a, a few scriptures here quickly. From verse 6. And so this is, this is, this is, this is Paul's event of what happened. It's exactly the same as, as the beginning. But he says, Now it happened as I journeyed and came near to Damascus at noon. Suddenly, near Damascus at noon, oh, sorry, suddenly a great light from heaven shone on me. And I fell to the ground and I heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And so I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, who you persecute. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to me. And so I, I said, what shall I do? And the Lord said to me, arise and go to Damascus. And there you will be told all the things which are appointed for you to do. Now, now I, I read that scripture specifically. Because you know something, that whenever there's a calling of God upon our lives, whenever we fall in love with Jesus, whenever we understand that we're a chosen vessel, when we understand that, that we've been handpicked by God to fulfill the purpose and the plans that He has for us, we always got to end up with that little scripture um, there at the end. Where does it say? Um, let me just catch quickly. This one where it says, And arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told the things which I have appointed, what I have appointed for you to do. For a second. For a second. Let's just think about this. How many of us have found ourselves, and, and I'm preaching this message because I'm in my own life journeying a lot of stuff. You know, in my own life, we, we all trying to find our way. In the only way we're trying to be the best pastors that we can be and, you know, run a church in the middle of a pandemic and, you know, make sure that salaries get paid because there's, there's, there is no money. And it's a challenge. But when I read the scripture and it just, it hit me so, it says, for which I've appointed you to do. And I thought to myself for a second, Kurt, have you really asked God what is the appointed thing in your life? Ecclesiastics, Ecclesiastics 3, and I've, I've mentioned this before, but Ecclesiastics says, well, let me just go there quickly, go to Ecclesiastics 3, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end up with this scripture. But we, we've got to get a hold of this. Ecclesiastes 3, it says this in verse 9, I've preached this before, but it says, What profit has a worker from which he labors? For I have seen, I have seen, he writes, the God-given task, the task that God has for every one of us. <clears throat> and I need to ask you this morning, do you believe that you have a God-given task? Because it's not just to attend church. 
It's not just to be a great grandpa. It's not just to be a great business person and a great mom. But the writer writes here and he says, I have seen men that understand the God-given task that God has upon their lives. He says, with which the sons of men are to be occupied. Paul spent the rest of his life occupying the space, the God's space in his life. And I wonder how many of us in this room this morning can genuinely say that we occupy the God's space in our lives. How many of us can understand that we occupy the thing that God has called us for? And this is not a heavy message. I want you to get it this morning. That if God can choose a man like Saul of Tarsus, that was busy destroying the church. You see, the problem is this, is that we don't evangelize effectively because Paul would be too hard for most of us. So if, if, if God gave me a choice, that good, well, you know, I've got a choice here this morning. I, I want you to go to the Zion about Jesus. Or I've got this guy called a Saul of Tarsus, you know, the guy that's killing the people and filling up the prisons. Um, which one would you really want to tell about Jesus? How many of us would run? How many of us believe in this building this morning that our, our politicians are above a touch from God? How many of us believe that the world is above a touch from God? It doesn't matter who you are in government. It doesn't matter what political party you serve. It doesn't matter what business you run. It doesn't matter what your ideology is. It doesn't matter if you're head of a satanic church this morning. I don't care if you're part of the New Age movement or the New World Order. I want to say this to you. That if you have an encounter with God and the heaven opens above you, you will never be the same. And it doesn't matter who we're preaching to. It could be the president. It could be the street painter. It could be anybody. Nobody, nobody can survive the presence of God and come out on the other side the same. And if you encounter the love of God in your life and the fact that He chose you above His Son, that he believed so much in you. That the Jesus says, there is a God appointed a space that God needs you to occupy. Saul writes it, I mean, Saul, I mean, so Paul writes it, he says, the things that God needs him to do. And I'm preaching this message because I still believe with every fiber of my being that there's going to be a revival in church soon. I really believe that God wants to do something amazing in our lives. But we can't always choose our easy targets. Look, if we want to really see our country change, you and I should not be interceding for the mayor of Nelson Mandela Bay. We should be interceding for our government right now. And you and I need to have the belief system that the very government, we don't have to vote in a Christian party. We can trust God to Damascus Road, the very party that's in power right now, that can change like that. But do we really believe that God can do that? Do we really believe that God can change someone? And the biggest issue that Paul had when he became a believer was that no one believed him. The word actually carries on if you read a little bit further in Acts. It says, Paul writes it, that God warns him to get out of the city because the believers aren't believing that Paul has changed. Come on, why don't we fight? Why don't we take on the big guns for a change? Hey? 
Why don't we take on the big guns for a change? Why don't we start to pray for the president and the vice president? Why don't we start to pray for political leaders that will change? Why don't we start to pray for mega churches that will stand up and be counted in our nation? Not just doing what needs to be done, but stand up and believe and occupy their God-given space. Not only their God-given space, but they understand the cool or the, the clear calling of God upon their lives to do that which God had purposed for them. In closing, I never want to get up there one day. And God says, good, this was the space that I needed you to occupy. This is what you occupy. This is what the purpose I had for you on earth. To change nations. To change nations. Not just to change your neighbor. And we're in a season right now where you know saying, come on God. Let's do this. Let's have a, a Dominique experience. Let us have a Damascus Road of soul experience. Why? Because what happened there changed his life forever. But you not him. That when we go all the way to the book of Acts, the word of God said there were 120 people upstairs. We don't know who they were. But I know one thing, that when the presence of God came to their room, their lives would change forever. And your life can be changed forever or you can just continue to exist. And I don't desire you to exist this morning. I desire you to occupy your God-given space. I need you to occupy the purposes that God has for you. The plans that God has for you. We could have the next greatest evangelist sitting right there and he doesn't know it. We can have someone sitting right there that's just going to lay hands on the sick and hundreds and hundreds are going to be healed. We've got somebody sitting in the back that may be just such a prayer warrior that she will physically see things change as she declares it. In front of me stands and sits a mighty army this morning. In Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel brings up the vision that God gives him of a valley of dry bones. And all that God says to him is this, Son of man, prophesy. Son of man, prophesy. Prophesy life into this valley. And I want to prophesy life into your valley this morning. I want to tell you God has a purpose for you. I want to tell you this morning that God has a God space, a place that God desires you to occupy. We need to get rid of the riffraff. We need to get rid of the things of no importance. I watched a documentary this week on Ben Vogel. I don't know if you guys have watched him. He goes to all these people that, that live off the grid completely. And he was with this one guy that had completely moved off the grid. He's got no internet, got no cell phones. You know, still goes to the, the, the town every now and again, does his thing. And Ben Vogel says to him, so how do you cope with not having all this information? He says, do you know that, you know that William and Kate, you know, you know that they've left the royal family and they've now moved to somewhere in America and that. He said, how do you survive without that information? And he looked at him and he says, because it's all absolutely useless information. 
it's not going to change my life at all. How much time do you spend on Facebook? Trolling other people. Before Facebook, we used to lock people up for stuff like that. Yeah? Trolling. Following people's lives. We spend so much time occupying someone else's space and we never occupy our God-given space. And I speak life into your value this morning. There where there's been dry bones, I pray that bone and flesh and sinew and marrow will start to be formed. If it's in your life, if it's in your finances, if it's in your marriage, if it's in your work situation, but more than anything, I want to declare over you this morning, sons and daughters of God, God has a space for you to occupy and God has a purpose and God has a plan for your life. And God needs us to fulfill our purpose and to occupy that space. It doesn't matter what you've been through. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you come from. The greatest author of all times was not God's first choice. And yet, I chose you above his own son. You know how special you are? You know how special you are? Think about it for a second. It was you and it was his son Jesus. And yet, he chose you. Father, may your presence fill this house this morning. I pray this week that as a people and as a church that we will encounter you as we journey. I pray for that Damascus Road experience in our lives. I pray that we will step into and occupy our God-given space. I pray that we start to fulfill the purposes and the plans that you have for us. But more than that, I pray for boldness to rise up in this church. I pray for such a boldness to rise up in us. That Father, we don't want to pray for the little foxes. Father, we want to bring down nations. We want to bring down governments. We want to bring down ideologies. We want to bring down theologies. We want to bring them down in the name of Jesus. Because that is the same spirit that is in us. Raise Christ from the dead. May we learn one thing today one thing in the service that nobody is too far gone for Jesus to reach nobody so come Holy Spirit I pray in Jesus name Amen